thank you so much. Thanks. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I've ever been introduced as having a lot of personality, but I'll, I'll take that. That, that works. Just want to welcome you here and those that are live stream as well. We welcome you. Uh, I was with you guys about a year ago and, uh, just had a great time. I've got such a great respect for Pastor Lance and you guys' uh, leadership. Pastor Lance, what an incredible guy, man. I just, uh, we've connected so many times and on, on phone. I just, when I talk to him, I just don't want to get off the phone. I, uh, I, I have a, a great affinity for this region for many, many, many reasons. One, just over that freeway, my daughter just graduated from William Jessup University. <laughs> she, uh, she, uh, just graduated and it was awesome. Her, their ceremony had Dr. Jack Hayford speak. I didn't realize that. He's one of my heroes. And she graduated summa cum laude. That's like, like, wow, my baby girl. She's my youngest. And I'm like, I graduated come lordy come. That's how I graduated. So C's get degrees. No, no, no. Do not listen to me. Any young person, whatever your hand finds you to do with all your might, get A's. Okay. Awesome. Hey, if you got a Bible, would you open up to Exodus 20? Exodus 20. I am uh, super excited on, on many levels. Uh, one, I'm excited. I've mentioned to be with you guys too. I'm really excited about the season that we're in. And I, I, I would just say this. Uh, it's so easy to breathe the air of pessimism and somehow forget the fact that the message of the gospel is a message of hope. That God doesn't want the devil to finish the rest of your story. You may have been hit. You may have had crisis. You may be facing something in the area of a loved one's health. Maybe relational breakdowns. Maybe financial. But the important thing is in this season, do not let the devil finish the rest of your story. Remember, we call history, if you break it down, it's his story. It really is God's story. And God is not going to let the devil finish the rest of his story or history. So now let me segue. I really believe that in North America, obviously the nations of the world, but in North America, I believe it's not going to end the way certain people think it's going to end. And and it's kind of this thing that, uh, you know, the economy's falling apart, situation in the Middle East and everything and unraveling and we're no longer maybe the, 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 the economic powerhouse of the nation. So that we question now, are we the leader of the free world and all this stuff? Uh, bottom line is, let's segue. The end times, and everyone wants to make it about the Antichrist. The end times isn't about the Antichrist. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, amen. Amen. Yeah. And God has got a purpose in this hour that I truly believe is going to come to pass. And let me just say it this way. I believe a record number of people, yes, in North America, are going to give their life to Christ. I believe that you and I are going to live to see it. It's going to happen on our watch and our children's watch. I believe that God is rolling up his redemptive sleeves, if you will, as we speak. And he's going to show once again, as he has done different times in human history, that God has got a plan, and no matter how dark it seems, the light still dawns. Now let me say this. A God who is powerful enough to start his church, i.e. the book of Acts, is powerful enough to end the church age with equal if not greater power. And I submit the greater. So in other words, this is what I'm saying. God is as good a finisher as he is a starter. So if you think the book of Acts was something... Hold your Holy Ghost safety belt and get ready for what God is about to do because it's going to be even greater. The latter glory is going to be greater than the former glory. 
We've got some, out those double doors, we got some product of written a book called I Am Your Sign. No, it is not about astrology. It's about a question Jesus was answered. Uh, show us a sign by some Pharisees. And uh, God, Jesus answered that. And I believe in that is a great clue. And I, and I wove that across this book. There's a book on revival. There's a book on historic uh, inbreakings of God in the planet Earth and how God has rescued uh, nations and rescued regions. Whenever the people of God has gotten desperate and come in agreement with God, God has showed up, showed off, and I believe he's going to do it again. And so there's a book on it, and it's it's got history in it, but it's got principles, too, to ignite a fire of revival in your heart because all revivals have a starting place. And revivals need real estate in order to operate. And the first piece of real estate God looks for is the left center cavity of your chest, your heart. That's where revivals begin. And we've got other stuff out there. All right. Exodus 20 and verse 18. It says, now all the people witness the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of trumpet, the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us, we will hear But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. And now verse 21. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. There is more to Christianity than the beginning experience. The temptation is to make the past our standard. That whatever God has done in our past, that that's kind of what he does. And maybe even that's all he'll do. And we just kind of keep writing out what it is that God has already done. The only problem with that is God has shown in history, he's demonstrated that there are unique seasons in our life, in the church, where God shows up. And you're going to hear this phrase a lot this morning. Shows up and shows off. What I will use the word encounter. God allows his people to encounter him in a unique way that prepares them for what he's about to do. So here's what I like to say. Is that before God can change the size of your exploit in terms of what you will do and what you will accomplish. God must first change the size of your conception of who he is. So God first comes to supersize your revelation of God in order to supersize the destiny and accomplishments that he can do through you. That really the challenge, Daniel 11.32 says it better than I am. Daniel 11.32 says, them that know their God shall be used mightily and do great exploits. I gave my life to Jesus Christ on a college campus, and I'll I'll, uh, uh, punctuate that a little bit later, just a little south of here at the University of Pacific in Stockton, California. I have since... I gave my life to Christ. Love to do outreaches at universities. I have a great heart for university, college students, young adults. About several months back, we're doing an outreach at UC Berkeley or UC Berserkley, right? We were on the steps of Sproul Plaza. And I love it because if the steps of Sproul Plaza could speak, they could tell a story. They've seen Hanoi Jane, Jane Fonda back in the day, do anti-war demonstrations. There's been the free love movement, the free speech movement, Timothy Leary telling a generation to drop uh, acid, and all kind of other uh, things that have taken place on those steps. And it is proven that if it can happen at Berkeley, it launches and impacts an entire generation. 
I really believe that God is going to do something again on universities. And I'm a little bit biased. I believe West Coast colleges are going to get hit and it's going to sweep across the United States. That's just my take. We were there. We called for university students to come join us for a night of making the name of Jesus famous. Because we've seen how that name has been maligned. We would have been blessed had 300 college students showed up. That would have been a nice crowd. By the time I got up to speak, they estimate and they count 1,000 college students showed up. I'm looking over at a guy and I'm like, my eyes are telling a story like, you know, in text talk of teenage girls, OMG, OMG, OMG. Like, oh my God, I cannot believe 1,000. They didn't even, uh, with all due respect, they didn't even advertise it right. It was just kind of a couple little blurbs on social media, you know. And, and, and a thousand students show up. We give uh, an appeal, a la Billy Graham, the way he would give, just a smaller scale. We give an appeal for people to come to Christ. We had 40 students stand up to give their life to Jesus Christ on open air at UC Berkeley on a Wednesday night. Oh, that's not all. Cross the street, right? Right across Bancroft is anybody been to Berkeley? There, right across Bancroft, there is a subway. And their slogan is, the fresh choice. Well, there's a Middle Eastern student just got finished buying him a sandwich. And he's about to make the fresh choice. Trust, trust me. The guy walks across, doesn't hear the worship, doesn't hear the word. Just give, here's the appeal, which I, I give a little more lengthier appeal than some, right? So I'm giving an appeal. This guy drops his sandwich, walks forward, and becomes part of the 40 to give his life to Jesus Christ. I know this because he comes up to me. He says, I've never heard about Jesus, but what you just shared, I want to give my all to him. I'm like, yes. Can you imagine? I'm going to sound like the infomercial, but wait, that's not all, right? (laughs) Meanwhile, in the crowd, there's a girl that has a kneecap, and I guess she had been given some medical attention from her doctor, but she has a kneecap that is approximately 45 degrees off, Right? Like aiming this way. And just for the record, your toes and your knee should point in the same direction, okay? In case you didn't know that. Her knee is like this. During the time of preaching, she looks down and she's feeling a warmth down there. She sees her kneecap all of a sudden begin to shift like a satellite dish. And her kneecap is now pointing directly ahead. She starts jumping up and down on this knee and shouting all her friends around her. She comes up to me like crying. And I think I would be crying too. And God healed her knee, right? I didn't even pray for the sick. And I love that because God doesn't need my permission to be God. He's God, right? He's just like, okay, I'll take care of this. Your knee, boom, and there it is. All in the same night. So right after that, on the heels of that, I go down to UCLA. I'm speaking and doing an outreach a couple days. So I'm down there, whenever I speak to college students, one of the, my, uh, I endeavor to do this is to be relevant. I want to preach the truth of God's word, but I believe the gospel is always relevant. Jesus is so relevant. Jesus is in the future. That's, that's very relevant, right? So I happen to say, I said, it's interesting. And it happened like that week. So it's very interesting that the owner of your professional basketball team, that would be the Los Angeles Clippers, Donald Sterling made a, a particularly inflammatory remark that was caught, I guess, by a girlfriend. It was a racist remark. Immediately, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, handed down the most severe penalty ever given to owner, banned him lifetime from the NBA and advised to the board of directors, other NBA owners, this guy be required to sell his team, which my understanding that's taking place right now. I said to the college students, isn't it interesting in 2014 that the subject is still racism? And then I began to share this story because what I wanted to share with them and did 
is that the answer to racism is the cross and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. That as much as, amen, come on somebody, you got to help me with that one, right? So I share this story about when we went and planted ministry at Chico State. And we started with just several students. We started there. There was a student, uh, his name was Tim, played on the baseball team. He was a part of our campus group as we started there, college Christian ministry. He had a friend on the baseball team named Russ. Russ didn't know the Lord. Russ had some issues. And so Tim didn't think he could fully navigate all the issues. So he said to him, he said, hey, Russ, hey, man, you need to come meet my campus pastor, Sean. He can share with you from the word, pray with you and talk to you. I think he's a little bit older. He can help you out, right? And so Russ said, okay. And so Tim said, okay, I'll bring you to him. So after one of the practices or something, or they had an early day practice or something, and they were going to go to class and then have a later evening, I'm out, and I've got this book table out. This is 90s evangelism. We've got our Bibles. We've got our tracks. We're sitting out at our table trying to meet people, greet people. And so Tim brings Russ. Tim's part of our group. Russ is not. Well, Tim didn't tell me this about Russ, and it would have been good to know in advance. Russ had been a junior Klansman and wanted to be a neo-Nazi white supremacist. In case you don't understand the platform of a Klansman neo-Nazi white supremacist, for whatever reasons, I may not be extremely high on their list in terms of influences in their life, okay? For whatever reasons, right? And so he didn't tell me this. Now, it wouldn't have mattered on one level because I'm a love on it, man. The, the cross of Jesus Christ is the equal leveling playing field. The love of God impacts my life. And man, he loves me so much, I got nothing but love to give. But... It's still good to know because I might have prayed up for this. You might have approached it differently, whatever. Okay, so Tim shows up, and he, he's at the, our table. I stand up from the table, come out, and Tim goes, Russ, this is my campus pastor, Sean. Sean, this is my campus, uh, this is my friend, Russ. And so I don't know what he wanted to be. It didn't matter. I stick out my hand to shake his hand. As I shake my uh, reach out my hand, he puts like three fingers and a thumb. He looks at me first, kind of strange, and he gives me what I call the limp fish grip. You know, ladies, when you catch the fish, but you don't really want to touch it because it's kind of like, it's all about texture. It's slimy, so you're like, oh, take this, right? So he kind of did it. The phrase, what was your first clue, that applies. Like, that was my first clue. Like, huh, okay. I had an appointment there, and I didn't know they were going to come. So I said, oh, man, you know, I got an appointment. I wrote down my address. I said, hey, Russ, hey, love to talk to you, man. Uh, any questions you have, hey, man, I'm going to be there for you. I'll, I'll, we can get in a word together. So here's the address. Uh, the church we were part of had like a little duplex and they let our, our, my family stay there. I said, hey, come over. I'll give you lunch, man. And again, I didn't know what he wanted to be. It wouldn't have mattered. But I handed him that. So Russ, to his credit, he shows up at my parsonage, right? A bit later that day. He shows up. He comes in the house. I said, hey, Russ, how you doing? Come on in. I said, you hungry? And he just kind of nods his head a little bit. And he's kind of looking at me a little strange. But, you know, I'm just thinking, okay, the guy might have some issues. I didn't know what his issue was, right? <laughs> Your issues got issues, okay? <laughs> you know. So I give him a tuna fish sandwich. And I was probably led of the Lord because my question is, do racists eat ethnic foods? <laughs> Don't know. I gave him tuna fish sandwich. You can't get more all-American than that, right? So he takes a bite out of the sandwich, and, and this is just how I'm thinking. I'm, 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 I love to be transparent when I'm speaking, because I'm very transparent. I paid for that bread that's sitting, that breadcrumb sitting on the corner of his mouth, and the tuna fish is off his lip. Okay, that's how I'm thinking, right? Because right as he takes, like, the second or third bite, he looks at me and he says, I hate black people. You ever have something said to you where you know you're saved? I know I'm saved. 
Because if I was not saved, you are not about to come over in my house with my tuna fish sandwich hanging off your lip that I bought and bread. Oh, no, he didn't. Okay, you are not going to come over in my house and tell me you hate me. Okay, but I'm saved. And because I'm saved, I just smiled. I let him finish his whole thought because I knew he wanted to get a rise out of me. I said, Russ, I said, let me talk to you, bro. I said, you have no reason to hate anybody. Like, why do you hate? people. And he gave me these litany of reasons that none of them were personal. There was no personal touchstone of where he was slighted or where he was hurt or wounded. It was just the general thing that he had been fed by whatever group he had fallen in with. I said, man, let me tell you a story, man. This is me. I said, at nine years of age, I get a call. I come home from school. I'm being bussed across town. I come home from school to find out my grandmother had been drinking. I was raised by a grandmother who was an alcoholic. My grandmother, in order to recognize the news she had to give me, she got drunk. And as I walked in, she says, grandbaby, I'm sorry to tell you. She breaks out crying. The night before, your daddy was murdered. It was proven in court. My dad was murdered. He was murdered by policemen. It was proven in court. It was racially motivated. My dad had committed no crime. He didn't look like anyone that committed a crime. He was profiled, set apart, shot. My dad was a chemical engineer for IBM. I said, Russ, the officers shot my dad in the same race that you are. And I thank God for godly policemen. Let me just put that out there. Law enforcement to put their life on the line, man. Seriously, you're a hero. That's, that's a serious job. But these guys aren't like you. And I'm telling Russ this. And I said in the midst of that, man, I had every reason to be angry. And I was. I had every reason to hate. I, I, I didn't. And I'm going to tell you why. I mean, two reasons. I said, number one, my mom. Right? But number two, when I got to college, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and the love of God so overwhelmed me that I immediately forgave those police officers. And I said, I got nothing but love for you right now. Now, those are just words, right? I mean, it's my story. It's my life. It means a lot to me. It's just words. Russ starts tearing up. Now, let me just say something. If you've been a junior Klansman and you're wanting to join a neo-Nazi white supremacist group, a story like that is probably not going to bring tears to your eyes, except for this phrase. I'll say again and again, except when God shows up and shows off and it, what it spells is when you encounter God, when words that come that someone's life are words from the Bible, but all of a sudden an atmosphere of heaven comes and you're all of a sudden in the midst of your life, there's an intersection of heaven meeting earth in your life. And when you experience this God showing up and God showing off this encounter, something happens. And this is what's happening to Russ. He would later tell me he felt something shift in his heart. He's crying. We had this in our parsonage, this ugly, burnt orange carpet. It was horrendous. All we needed to put today is a lava lamp next to it, and we would have been retro. But back then, it wasn't retro. It was just old because it was back then, right? We get on our knees, and Russ, I get a chance to lead Russ in a prayer where he commits his life to Jesus Christ. He becomes, in that moment, an on-fire Christian. He joins our group, becomes one of my best friends. He's at the birth in the hospital, both of my children. I'm the best man in his wedding. He becomes like my best buddy. He's the number one guy that wins people to Christ in our group. Come on, somebody, how many of you know that is a testimony? But that's not all. There's another kid on our campus named Hollis. At least Hollis is the name his mama gave him. But he changed his name because he didn't want that name, and you'll understand in a moment. Hollis was a Daishiki-wearing, Louis Farrakhan-following, Malcolm X hat-having black Muslim. 
And I said, Hollis, talk to me, man. I put my arm around. I said, Hollis, let me tell you something, man. You got to know any belief system or philosophy that espouses hate is wrong. Any uh, uh, supposed being that's supreme that would highlight or prefer one race of people based on their ethnicity over another on the sheer reason of their pigmentation cannot be God. And I said, man, let me talk to you for a second. Hollis, he said, don't call me Hollis, my name. And he gave me this long other African name. I said, no, I'm going to call you what your mama call you. You Hollis, okay? Let me talk to you, man. So I said, you need to come out, man. I want to share with you more. So I was hoping he would show up in our campus meetings because I always made those messages or thoughts more evangelistic. They were more, uh, more of a first time you're seeking here. This is what Jesus is about. But he shows up at our church. Somehow somebody must have told him. My pastor had asked me, he's doing a series. He asked me, I think on the, like the seven deadly sins. He asked me to speak on pride. And I saw Hollis walking. I went, oh no, man, I'm speaking on pride. You know, it's like I wanted to change my message, but I had to honor my pastor because my question is, do prideful people get saved on the message on pride? I don't know. We about to find out. <laughs> so he comes in. I start preaching on, preaching on pride. About three quarters of the way through the message, Hollis, Football player, played on our football team, tied in, gets up, walks out in the aisle, comes forward. He starts crying at the altar. A guy that is as hardcore as he is in the militant beliefs he is, a message on pride shouldn't get you crying unless God shows up, shows off, and you have an encounter. He's crying. I'm speaking, and I'm torn between stopping my message, right? And running over and hugging him. So I kind of, I'm on the mic and I'm moving a little closer. And he starts crying. And Russ, who is in the service, Russ pops up, walks the aisle, comes forward. Russ starts hugging him. Hollis turns into him. Awesome is right. He starts crying. They're hugging. They're crying. And I'm looking at this mirror. I dropped the mic, right? I had to turn back over my, my support, monthly support to buy the mic, right? Here is an ex-neo-Nazi white supremacist. Ex-Klansman hugging a now ex, Daishiki wearing Louis Farrakhan following Malcolm X hat having black Muslim. And I go, we have the answer to racism in America. It is the cross. It is the love. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Woo! You guys are getting me too fired up too early. I just want to let you know I'm like nitrogen and glycerin. So I'm like, it's already been shook. It's over now. There's this scene in Men in Black. How many of you have seen the movie Men in Black, the original one? Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, they, they just had excellent chemistry. It was phenomenal, especially the first one. I, I, don't, I can't vouch for all of them, but the first one was really good. And I remember that point where Will Smith, his Agent K, Agent J, I'm forgetting who was what now, but he's exposed and recognized Dennis Rodman, he's an alien. <laughs> Madonna, she's an alien, right? He begins to realize there's aliens. And you remember that scene where he's sitting on the park bench? And he sits from sundown to sunup all night. And there's a conversation Tommy Lee Jones has with him. And he says, 1,500 years ago, they believed that the, the earth was the center of the universe. That's right. 500 years ago, we believed the earth was flat. 15 minutes ago, you thought we were alone on the planet. He says, imagine what you'll know by tomorrow. If I could pick a scene out of a movie that... In my prayer time, in my study of the word, that I believe is right where we're at, it's that. I believe that we're about to have an agent, whatever he was, K or J, we're about to have a Will Smith sit on the park bench all night moment because this is what God does when he shows up. Your mind kind of tilts and it's hard to adjust. I feel like God is going to do things out of the ordinary 
because it's part of what he does when he draws near and revivals come. As I've studied revivals, one of the difficulties for revivals is that when God moves, he does something out of the ordinary by definition, because let me throw this at you. I believe that normal Christianity in North America is really abnormal. It's, it's subnormal. You guys follow me? I believe Jude talks about we're supposed to contend for faith handed down once and for all. What revival does is gives us a new normal. But you got to understand, if our current normal is abnormal, God's normal will seem abnormal to people who are really abnormal. Please tell me you got that. I don't know if I could even repeat that. I hope you connected the dots. So God wants to give us a new normal. So in the process of God giving us a new normal, how does he do it? God shows up, shows off. Say it with me. God shows up and God shows off encounter that is beyond our grid. It's off our paradigm. In fact, you could even get comments during this time of, that's not God. God doesn't do that. Now, I get a little bit of that, but if I can just be this straight with you. I think it smacks of a bit of arrogance for us to say that we know exactly what God would do, like we're God. That, you know, we only use 10% of our brain, unless you're Lucy, if you saw that movie. We only use 10% of our brain, max, that's genius level. Most of us probably use about 5% of our brain, to be honest, right? Our brain is a peanut in comparison to the infinite, vast wisdom of the ocean of God's understanding and knowledge. We use 5% of our peanut, maybe 10% at the most, and we think we can figure out God. Let me just say this something to you. Any God you can figure out is not God. It's only a figment of your imagination because you limited the omnipotent one, omniscient one. He's beyond figuring out the Bible says. His ways are past our ways. So what does God give you? He gives you encounters. Now let me say again. We must be careful not to limit our experiences and understanding of God to what we've already been exposed to because God wants to take you deeper and higher at the same time. I really believe that if we got a full revelation of God, we would fry a chip in our brain and we'd be on the ground shaking and smoke coming out our ears. Personally, that's what I think. Okay, why does God give encounters? Now, if I could do a series with you guys, and, and uh, I'm only invited here for one shot, but I could break down... Moses' encounter at the burning bush, David's encounter. I can break to you Esther's encounter. I can talk to you about the encounter Isaiah had as he looked up and saw the throne. I can talk to you about John the Baptist. I can tell you about Apostle Paul. Let's stop there. Maybe let's go with Saul of Tarsus is riding on a horse to Damascus to kill Christians. This is what he is. He's killing Christians. He's not just writing a blog that's kind of an atheistic approach, right? He's killing Christians. Whole nother level. The dude is killing Christians. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, shows up, knocks Saul of Tarsus off his horse, and blinds him for 72 hours. I love it when preachers say the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Not in Acts chapter 9, he's not a gentleman. I can't see some cosmic butler coming up to you and knocking you off your horse and blinding you 72 hours, right? No, he is, in that moment, the God who has creation on his resume. The God who is God all by himself, God, showing up. And I believe that God is going to show up again. Three days later, Saul of Tarsus gets up, and it wouldn't be till Acts 13 that he's called Apostle Paul, but for all intents and purposes, the DNA is set in this man, that he's going to be, man, a revivalist. He's going to walk into cities. It's going to be revival or, revival or riot, but neutrality is not on the menu. This guy is raising the dead. He sees blind eyes open. The guy, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote, writes over half the New Testament. So my question is, 
The people in Jerusalem who are already part of a church weren't ready for God. It took Barnabas to come alongside and say that this Saul of Tarsus dude is legit. He really, they were like, no, we heard about this dude. No, we're not getting around him at all. They weren't even ready for the conversions that God was ready to do in the early church. I'm like, are we ready for the Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga's Ellen DeGeneres, Little Wayne, Bill Moyer, Ted Turner? Get ready for those folks to get saved. Because in revival, God makes a beeline for those that others would deem tough to reach. Now here's my question. What if you could bottle up whatever hit Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9? What if you could bottle that up and sprinkle that over the greater Sacramento area? What would happen? Revival. Somebody said it. Revival. Thank you. She said me. I said it. Yes. And what I submit to you is what God could do over one life, he could do over a region. And we need to get ready. So I studied encounters. Let me give you some things on encounters. When do encounters occur? I'm trying to build your hope and faith as to why we should expect them now. Encounters occur when heaven intends to bring transformation. Write it down. When heaven intends to bring transformation, that is when encounter. Encounter, God shows up, God shows off. When heaven intends to bring encounter, I believe we're in a time where God intends to bring some of the most dramatic, radical transformations imaginable. I believe individually, I believe regionally, I believe nationally. If you look in the Bible, when God intends to bring transformation in Moses, God says, I've heard the cries in Exodus 2. I heard the cries of the oppressed, and I'm coming to change that. And so what did he do? He gave Moses a burning bush experience. That when God intends to bring transformation, he changed both Moses and he changed, obviously, the condition as he gave birth to a nation. Number two, when do encounters occur? In times of crisis and great need. When there's crisis. How many of you know in America we got crisis? You know, TNT, the uh, network, has a slogan they use, we know drama. No, 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 we know drama, okay? <laughs> we know drama. America, how many of you know we know drama? I mean, it's all right. You watch the 5 o'clock news, you pick up the issue of USA Today, you whatever. We know drama. Now, my point is, is encounters occur in times of crisis and great need. And why? Because times of crisis and great need normally devastates people, but God comes to release an encounter that detonates so you're not devastated, you're detonated. You remember the old Wiley Coyote sound from that era, right? Wiley Coyote and uh, Roadrunner, and he, he would order something from Acme. Acme, okay, I said it right. Last night I think I said Acme, and I go, no, that's Acme. This is Acme, right? And he'd have this thing, it kind of looks like a T-handle, and you push it down and wires, and it would blow up the bomb, but it would always not blow up the bomb if Roadrunner was over there. This is called a detonation device. It triggers the explosion. I believe that in times of crisis, God doesn't want you devastated, but detonated. And the way he does it is by allowing you to encounter, which leads me now to point three. Why does God allow encounters to occur? It's to prepare you for a task. God knows that there's something that he wants to achieve through you down the road, maybe immediately down the road. And the way that God goes about that is he first shows up and shows off because in the midst of it, it retrofits you and equips you for what it is that God is going to do just down the road. Now, here is this scene, Exodus 20. Exodus 20, just earlier, Moses, or God, had given the Ten Commandments, and that thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. In the midst of that, after just giving the people the law, it's like God saying, it's not enough 
just to give you the law. It's not enough just to give you words. I want you to have an encounter. How many of you know God is not, kingdom of God is not in words, but in power in the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. This is what the kingdom of God is about. And so what does he do? He's, he's going to reveal himself to him. He's going to show up, show off. Say that with me one more time. Show up, show off. Come on, over here. Show up. All right, awesome. Here we go. Now, the Bible lets us know there's a thick cloud. So I, I, I'm very visual. So imagine this. We got in a time machine. We all have gone back to Exodus 20. We are the nation of Israel. We've been given the law, but now God doesn't want you to just have a law. He wants you to have an encounter. Doesn't want to just for you to have a book. He wants you to have a look. Okay? So here he is. Big, thick cloud. Imagine the thick cloud, until they get close enough, is like a curtain. So imagine this stage right now is the scene. And the Bible says the people witnessed, the people witnessed that there, the mountain was smoking, that there was lightning, there was thunder, there was sounds of trumpet, there was an earthquake, the ground shook, right? You imagine this. Now imagine the, the, the curtain, okay, but it's a dark cloud. Imagine, and again, this is conjecture, this is my thought, just kind of helps communicate some stuff. Imagine if we had a modern church growth expert behind the curtain talking to God about because these church growth experts know how you should grow your church. Imagine him advising God as to how to first encounter the people. He's got his iPad out. He says, okay, God. He says, God, whatever you do, God, this is important. Make it easy on the eyes, God. Make it easy on the eyes. Make it very attractive. We got to work. We got to get the lights. We got to get eight. Okay, God. Make sure the volume levels are not too high, God, because there are going to be people that they're not, they're not going to want it too loud. So make sure the volume. God, you know what? Do it all in about 17 and a half minutes because we know they're all ADD, you know, and so we don't want it to go too long because you'll lose them. God, make sure in the front of the crowd you can get them some Krispy Kreme donuts and some Starbucks coffee because they're going to want that. God, make them feel good. Make sure it's room temperature. And finally, God, whatever you do, I can see this guy on the iPad, whatever you do, God, don't blow them away. Okay, places everybody ready. Okay, here comes the curtain, right? The people of God to walk up. Curtain comes and what? It is the original I am Max, right? <laughs> I live over in Pleasant and that's the IMAX the editor. God told Moses, I am that I am. This is the I am Max and surround sound. God shows up. The ground is shaking on them. There is lightning. There's thunder. And the Bible says that the people in the midst of it said, no, Moses, you speak to them. They drew back and Moses said, do not be afraid. Ah, let's break it down. Number one, first thing I want to communicate is that it would seem to me that God came to blow them away. We think that God doesn't come to blow us away. No, God comes to blow you away. Why? Because these people are going to have to go into a promised land that is occupied with various resistance and idolatrous nations. They're going to have Midianites. They're going to have Hittites. They're going to have Canaanites. They're going to have Pepsi-lights and Cellulites. And they got to be able to deal with all that stuff, right? You don't know what they're putting in it. Okay, so he is giving them an encounter. Why? So the God you serve in your thinking is bigger than the resistance you'll face. Because if your fears are as greater than your faith, you'll draw back. And if your faith is greater than your fears, you'll draw near. The display that drew the, that, that drove the people back drew Moses near. And there was a reason why they weren't prepared. And obviously that generation weren't prepared to occupy and take the promised land. First thought. The other thought, I think is really, it really comes down to this. 
is that I believe God does come to blow you away. I believe that God wants to get out of the box. I don't believe, you know, we'll do sermons where we want everybody to feel good. Nothing wrong in that, but more important than feeling good, I want you to feel God this morning. You can feel good right at a Kiwanis Club meeting, but you may not necessarily feel God at a Kiwanis Club meeting. We got to do what our commodity really is. There's a church in our area, and you're going to think I'm negative. I'm totally not. If you knew me personally, I'm not a negative. I'm, I'm actually very much... Maybe a crazy optimist is the word, right? I'm, I'm that optimist. They advertise on the marquee of their church, right? This church in our area. It says, uh, now, something to the effect, now serving Krispy Kreme. That's why I used it. Starbucks coffee and Krispy Kreme donuts. And I'm like, really? Okay, I, I get that. Now, I, I, I think you should have some stuff and some snacks. I think that's awesome. But we're going to put that on the marquee like that's our commodity, if you really want sugar and caffeine, you can go to you can go to the real Krispy Kreme donuts and the real Starbucks coffee, and it tastes better, right? What what ought to be the commodity? Y'all got quiet on me, but that's all right. What is the real commodity of the kingdom? It ought to be the presence of God. The one thing we can bring, Hollywood can't bring, Star, Mr. Starbucks can't bring, Mr. Krispy Kreme can't bring, is the presence of God. Hey, if I have a church, man, I want it to be advertised, the power and presence of the Lord, the love of God is in this place. Come meet someone who is out of this world, right? And, and, and the thing, we're trying to make you feel comfortable when I believe heaven's intention, you feel the comforter. Capital C, that's one of the names of the Holy Ghost. Now, let's break this down. When God shows up beyond their box, I don't know if their thinking was, man, I don't know. This isn't God. God doesn't ever do this. Whatever their thought was, they responded in fear. And I believe this is one of the greatest threats. And when God does something out of the box is I believe the first thing you feel, feel is fear. That's why angels, I believe angels are instructed in heaven. They have a class. All the angels have to come before they show up on earth. And they practice a phrase, fear not. Okay, come on, angels, say it with me. Fear not. Because angels show up, and if you ever notice, angels say, fear not, for the Lord is well. Fear not. Why? Because if they don't say fear not, you empty the contents of your bowel and your bladder, and your bowel goes, ah, 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 and it runs down the street. you got to go chase and get your bowels back, right? But that's why. Why? Because angels, anything that comes out of that realm, when God shows up and shows off, it's off the chart of our paradigm, and our natural response is fear. You know, they got a lot of phobias. One of them is archibudophobia. It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> really? Seriously? This is where we're at now? No, no. Well, there is a phobia that might be valid. It's called xenophobia. Xenophobia is the fear Watch this. It's the fear of the unknown and what is unfamiliar. Our greatest threat when God is moving us towards revival to do something out of our paradigm, out of the box, out of our theology. And I love what Charles Spurgeon said on that. Charles Spurgeon essentially said that uh, more important or we need theophanies more than we need theology. Now, he's not making them enemies. Theology is a study of God, but theophany is an encounter with God. How many of you in your study of God ought to lead you to encounter God so you can grow deeper with the God? So he's not just words on the page or creeds on the wall or entries in your journal. He's your friend. Come on, somebody. Love that group. Y'all are awesome. Can y'all travel with me wherever I go, please? (laughs) Xenophobia. Now, Here is what the God we must meet. It says in Exodus 20, verse 18, it says the people trembled. What does that mean? It means there was an earthquake. What does that mean? It means things got shook up. Let me tell you a God we must meet. We must meet a God that will shake things up. 
Some people don't have room for a God in their life that will shake things up. And I'm telling you, I believe there's a God that's going to shake up well-worn beliefs. He's going to shake up habits. He's going to shake up rituals. He's going to shake up how we do what we do. He's going to shake up your life. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So that which is unshakable will remain. Come on, just tell somebody says a whole lot of shaking going on. All right? Kind of like Jerry Lee Lewis or whoever that dude that sang that song. God shakes things up. It's not the, just the devil. It's not just modern life. God shakes things up. And I think we got to have room for God that shakes things up. I think he's going to shake up a nation. I think he's going to shake up the greater Sacramento area. I believe there's a God that's going to shake up the limited box that even some of us that know him have put him in. I believe he's coming to shake that up. The Bible says in that passage, they witnessed the thunderings. I love Pastor Lance. I understand the history of this church. It largely grew when he did a series of expositional study out of revelations. I love that. Oh, That's thundering. We need the pulpits in North America to begin to thunder once again. It's cool that we give you a little principles of success and seven ways on how to have a good vacation and we do it over three weeks and all that kind of stuff. But (laughs) yeah, y'all getting a point on that, right? That that was literally, I looked it up. That was literally a series a guy did. Okay, bless his heart. Anyway, we need the pulpit to thunder again. Why? Because there's a generation out there that is listening to the gospel of political correctness. And if we're not thundering from the pulpit, that becomes the loudest voice. And let me tell you, if there isn't a thunder coming from here, there's a thunder coming from there, and they're going to give ear to the greatest thunder. We need to portray a God that thunders. A God that, man, you know what? I, I want to communicate to you in a way that you'll comprehend, you'll understand, you'll grasp. But I also want to be able to tell you, there's, a, there's aspects of God that's off the chart. That I can't make it nice. I can't make an antiseptic God. I just got to tell you, that's God and he's awesome. And, And I shouldn't have a problem with that. In fact, Moses said the reason why God showed up like that is that you would have, he used the word fear, but really it's translated awe. He, 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 he showed up this big and this strong so you would have the awe of God in your heart. And that's why we have to thunder. We need the awe of God back in our hearts again. That we honor God. There's something that keeps us in the midst of a wayward generation that's lost their due north. We need thunderings again. We need that. You know what they took? Speaking of uh, uh, one of the great revivals, George Whitfield, they would take his sermons during the First Great Awakening, right? Give me five minutes and we're going to be done. They would take his sermons in the First Great Awakening and they would take it to a bar and they would mock him and drunk dudes would like recite his sermon, right? As he's reciting John... George Whitfield's sermon, people in the bar got saved and they shut down the bar as a dude mocking under intoxication. And I'm saying, you know what the sad part is? I mean, I'd clap and I'd be super excited. But the sad part is, I wonder if drunk folks took our sermons today and went down to the local bar, would anyone even feel God on that stuff? Because Whitfield thundered. We got to get back to that. All right, enough with that, Sean. All right, next one says the mountain smoking. In the old cartoons, the mountain would have been <laughs> back in the day. Remember they showed, how many of you are old enough to remember they would show smoking in cartoons? Like they totally wouldn't do that. Like what was they doing to us? Okay. Only, only half a dozen raise your hand. You make me feel very old right now. Okay. I know I got some grays on my afro, but come on. How many of you ever remember when they had some smoking in cartoons? All right. All right. There you go. I feel a little bit better. Mountain smoking. It doesn't mean the mountain's going, that doesn't mean what it means. Where there is smoke, there must be why do you have a smoke alarm in your house? Is smoke the issue? Yeah, kind of. No, fire's the issue. To say the mountain is smoking is to say this. 
God is on the mountain and God is a consuming fire. To see this big God is to see a God that can consume you with passion. I'm from Oakland. Don't hold this against me. I'm a Raider fan. All right. Actually, you shouldn't be mad at me. You don't, you should really pray for me in total sympathy over the last 10 years I've had to deal with. Okay. It's been tough. I got a support group and I'm trying to work my way through it. I'm a fan of the Raiders, but make no mistake about it. I'm a fanatic of Jesus alone because the silver and black, they didn't die for me. They didn't get up on the third day out of the tomb for me. They ain't coming back for me. Pardon my English. I'm going to give my complete adoration and passion and investment of my heart in the one who has a name above all names, the name of Jesus. And I believe our God, our God is still looking for smoke on the mountain. Is there smoke on the mountain? The smoke is its holy smoke. It's an evidence that your heart burns for him. That the name, you give me, hey, I I can talk about the economy. I can talk about stuff in the Middle East. I can talk about sports. I can talk about this and that, Bay Area. I can talk about history. But get me talking about Jesus and you'll notice something goes to another level in me. Right? You have little girls. Now, again, there's different guys coming in and out and stuff. But let's just take Justin Bieber. Not picking on him. You have little girls that will go to his concert and pass out when he hits his first note. They'll just lose conscience. Boop, fall out. The guy can't have two hairs on his chest. You're going to fall out over a dude who don't even have two hairs on his chest. And you're not going to let the love-struck look of eternity hit you when you see the glorious, man, incredible view of Jesus. That doesn't overwhelm you. That doesn't knock you off your feet. That doesn't cause your heart to swoon. It's just proof you haven't really met him. Because if you meet him, there's something that's awakened inside of you that nothing on earth can touch it. I'm more serious than I... I was about to say more serious than a heart attack. That's pretty serious, okay? Inner city term don't mean any insensitivities to anyone that's ever had to go through that. I'll tell you a story about that later. All right. Fourth and final of all. says there was lightning flashes, sound of trumpets. And I believe, what does that mean? Lightning flashes. You know what? There's no such thing as inconspicuous lightning. How many of you know, especially for us for California, when it light, oh, what was that, right? What I believe, it says lightning flash and sound of trumpet, is that trumpets is prophetic. It, it always signifies something is about to be said or something is said. I believe that we ought to be conspicuous light reflections and the sound of a prophetic voice ought to come off our lives. If I can get Lisa or someone to come forward to the keyboards. I was on a plane one time. I'd done multiple services in a weekend, super tired. I got bumped up to first class to which I said, I received that. Thank you, Jesus. I'm like, I'm nodding, man. I'm like totally just tired. I'm nodding. And you're in first class. You get more room, more leg space. It's all good. As I'm there, there's a lady dressed in all black. She's older than me, middle-aged, right? And she's all black. And I'm like, you're a little old to be emo. Okay, emotional for emotional. Some of you don't get that. That's all right. So I fall asleep and I feel like laser beams here and I wake up and she turns away from me. So, oh, okay. Go back to sleep. I feel the laser beams again. She's staring at me. I turn and she turns away. She didn't want me to catch her staring at me. So I'm I'm a fake sleep now. Fake like I'm going to sleep. And I go, whoa, caught her. Uh Aha. She's staring right at me. Then she lets the cat out of the bag. She says, there's something different about you. She's using her hands, truly. Something different about you. You have an aura. 
And your aura is so unique. I don't know if I've seen an aura. She's an aura reader. She's a psychic aura reader. She says, oh, I can't even begin to put in the words. And I'm tired. If I was more arrested, I might have been more, I don't know, better in my words. I said, girl, I said, you don't know. My aura is out of this world, okay? <laughs> and then I shared with her, I'm a minister. I love Jesus Christ and what you're picking up. And I thought, God, thank you. I got a chance to share Christ with her. I pray that, Lord, you're always so conspicuous on me that even when I'm asleep and I'm tired and I'm out of it, that someone else can pick up the slightest hint that Jesus and something out of this world is on you. I got to college, and when I got to college, I was hurt, I was broke, I was wounded. I came back one night. My grandmother had given her life to Jesus Christ when I was a junior in high school. She came back from a church. She got delivered of alcohol. She had been alcohol all my life, so 17 years but plus. She came back to our tenement apartment, broke all her alcohol, poured it all down the drain, turned and looked at me and said, Grandma don't need to take 12 steps. Grandma needs need to take one step to Jesus Christ. He set me free. She's thoroughly set free. Before that, if you would ask me if I believed in God, I would have said yes, but I, I, I wasn't serving God. I didn't go to church. It was like believing God as opposed to evolution, Darwinism, all that. I was already a thinker, even at that age. And I'm like, no, we didn't come from no monkeys, okay? I ain't letting them make no monkey out of me. I like to believe I was created as the purposeful design of an almighty God that was an intelligent being that I was created for purpose. That's what I chose. But I, okay, amen. I didn't think he cared much about me. That was my sticking point until my grandmother. And now a God that showed up and showed off delivered my grandmother. Fast forward that about five years later. I'm in college. I'm suicidal. I'm ready to end it all. And for the sake of time, I won't open and unpack all of that. I come back from the club. Not this club, but hey, this club. Okay. I was desperate. And I said, God, if you're real, I I don't even know where this came from. I, I, I can quote it because it's distinct in my mind. I said, God... If you're real, I want to experience you. And if you let me experience you, I'll give you everything. Isn't that interesting? I didn't say, God, give me John 3.16. Because I knew that. I watched Monday Night Football to do with the rainbow afro. He would always have John 3.16. I knew it. I didn't ask God for words. I wanted encounter. I wanted God, the God that showed up and showed off. And intuitively, I knew that not even serving the Lord. Three o'clock in the morning. I may lose some of you. This is 29 years ago. So I've given my, my age. If you can do the math and you remember all the stats here. 29 years ago, I got a degree in computer engineering is collecting dust in my garage. My goal was to be the black Bill Gates and make PHAT fat bank in Silicon Valley. It was not to take a vow of poverty and go into ministry, so I thought at the time. I worked unloading boxes at UPS at night so I could reach college students during the day. Nothing to pat myself on the back or nothing super altruistic about it. Just to let you know what I'm about to describe to you had to have been real because if it wasn't real, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. I a little bit... Uh, street smarts and a little bit of intelligence, a little bit of something that I took a vow. I'm never going to be poor or broke again. P-O-P-O, not poor, po. <laughs> I'm awakened at three o'clock in that night. It would not be, it wouldn't do justice to say I felt peace. I felt something lift off me. I felt like everything was going to be all right. I, look, I, I was awakened. I saw Jesus like I see you right now. I'm not exaggerating. This is not uh, uh, like I'm trying to make this bigger than it. People say, what did Jesus look like? He looked like John who wrote Revelation said, the revelator. He says, I looked at one whose face uh, was like lightning. His, eye, his face was like the sunshine. His eyes were like lightning. And that's literally what God, it looked as if God took the sun out of the sky, dropped in my room. He spoke to me. I heard the audible voice of God. I'm not a mystical dude. I wish I could tell you I hear the audible voice of God all the time. I don't. I did then. 
if someone else was in the room, would they have heard it, Sean? I, I think they wouldn't. Maybe they wouldn't. I'm not trying to say, I'm just saying how it came to me. My, my spirit wasn't built up enough to know how to discern the voice of God. I heard it. And he says to me, I'll be a father to the fatherless. I immediately broke and wept and cried because that was my wound. God knows exactly what it is that's held you back and hurt you. I've always wanted a dad. My dad never lived with me. I saw him when I was five. He lived in San Jose. We lived broke in Oakland. He was a chemical engineer for IBM. He didn't really give us support like that, but he'd come visit and sometimes he'd come pick me up and then he's murdered tragically at nine. I later find out that what God spoke to me, I'll be a father fatherless is in the Bible. God speaks Bible. In that moment, I not only broke and wept, I surrendered everything to a God that showed up and showed off. I got up the next day. I'm on a college campus. I'm a college student, University of Pacific. I witnessed in the next 30 days, I counted then, and I don't know if it's right now, but whatever. I led 25 people to Christ. And it wasn't that I was that good at witnessing. It was that they were that shocked that I got saved. Oh, you saved must be a God, right? I witnessed to everything that moved. I'm serious. But I would think everyone did. If you'd asked me, I thought every Christian does this. Because if you meet the God I met, you can't help but talk about him. And that's why I think we need to encounter God again. Because we need to talk about him. And you can't introduce someone to a God you haven't met. You know what I'm saying? We all say we met God. Well, I don't know if, you know, like met God. He's your intimate friend. And God wants to take you deeper. Bow your heads. Jesus, Lord, we just thank you, God, for your presence. And Lord, we just invite you just to come. Fill this place, show yourself strong, and do what you and only you can do alone. And we begin here. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Here right now, I had an aunt. I mentioned this, I think, last night. I've got a great aunt. She's going to be with the Lord. Opal. My great aunt Opal, she's from the south, Arkansas. She had what's called a showroom. Showroom. It's a little bit of southern culture. But maybe you have some family from the south, and it might have been carried and migrated west coast with you. And my aunt Opal, being that she had a showroom, she put plastic on her sofa. <laughs> when it was hot during the summer, my little thighs would be sticking to her couch until she would shoo me out of that room because you didn't want no kids in your showroom. You open up the curtains. The reason why it's called a showroom is that was the room you showed. When people walk by your house, you had your curtains open. They could say, oh, man, look at their house. Ooh, they doing nice. Well, the truth is, at least from my family in the back uh, in the south, they didn't have a lot of money. They put all their money in a showroom. You went to the other rooms of the house. It was dilapidated, broke down, condemned, rodents, roaches, you name it. It was all going on. Maybe even ready to be condemned. Certain rooms, termites had eaten away at it. But everyone wouldn't know that because you'd invite them in, give them some tea or sweet tea, actually. Let me get that right. Give them some sweet tea and let them sit on your plastic, on your furniture in your showroom. I think in Rockland, Roseville, greater Sacramento area, I think we've become good at that. We open the curtains and we show our showroom, those areas of our life we want everybody to see. We tell them what our profession, how much money we make, what our kids are doing, where we live. And these become our showroom. Unbeknownst to us is that we're just not being real because we're not letting everybody else know that the other areas of our life are torn apart. I love this guy, Ty, on uh, Ultimate Home Makeover. When Ty shows up, I love watching that show because they go to people that have need, houses or uh, not where it needs to be and they come and all expenses paid they fix up your house and usually it's because of crisis or devastation hit a family i've never seen that show and by the way i think the church ought to do that that is a great great thought the church ought to be showing up people's houses and say hey man we got this covered we're gonna do this but let me say this i've never seen anyone come out of their house and with a gun aimed at ty and the contractors 
and demand them to get off their property and say, you're trespassing, go away. That, that would be goofy. That would be stupid. Let me tell you right now, your life, there's one greater than Ty. His name is Jesus. He's at the front door. He's got a contractor with him, capital C, the Holy Ghost. And they're ready to give you an ultimate life makeover. The craziest thing you could do is show up with hostility and shoo Jesus off when you should invite him in because at the end of the day, you get a whole new life. Not just your showroom that you put your best foot forward and let everybody think it's okay, but to actually come to the point where you lay your head on your pillow at night with peace, knowing everything is okay and will be okay because you got Jesus. If you're here right now, that is in our essence, the gospel. If you're here right now, you're not right with God and you want to receive God. You got to repent. There's no shortcut to that. Repent is a good word, not a bad word. Repent cancels the right of the oppressor to sin on you. Not totally the breakdown of the word, but re means to do over again. Pent as in penthouse, the top. I like to think of repent as the ability to get back to the top again. If you're here right now, you say, Sean, I'm not right with God. I don't know if I would die where I'd go. I'm hurt. I got stuff. I've never made Jesus Lord. I've never professed him as Lord in front of a public uh, group. Or I've fallen away from God, Sean. You know, one time I prayed a prayer. I was dedicated as a baby. And that's great. You're dedicated as a baby. But it doesn't do you much good if you're not dedicated now. If you're here right now, you say, Sean, pray with me. I need Jesus. I need to come back to Christ. If that's you, wherever you're at right now, get your hand up right now. Slip it up wherever you're at. Wherever you're at. Say, Sean, I need to surrender. I need to come to Christ. I need to come back to Christ. I want you to pray this prayer. I need Jesus. Get your hand up. Yes. 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 Anybody else? Yes. Yes. Amen. There's bright lights, but I'm starting to see hands. Yes. God bless you. Yes. Oh, man. More hands than I thought. Oh, amen. Awesome. Yes. Can I get everyone that's lifting their hand right now? Would you stand up on your feet wherever you're at right now? Just stand up wherever you're at. Hand up. Stand up. If you're able to stand up. Amen. Come on, folks. Can I get the prayer team? Get you guys to come this way. The prayer team to come up. I want all of you that are standing right now. This is so important. Jesus never called his disciples or any followers kind of behind a barn and kind of did like a little side deal. Hey, man, you're with me now, but hey, you can be undercover or whatever like that. He called them out in public. I want to ask you in a moment to come forward. You may be all the way in the back, but let me tell you, it's still the shortest walk for the greatest gain anyone will ever have. Because at the end of the day, you get Jesus. I want you, if you're standing up, would you step out of your seat and would you come forward? Would you do that? Can I have everybody standing? Would you just step out of your seat? Come on, folks. Don't sit back down. Come on. Come on out. Even all the way in the back. Come on down. Keep coming. I went over time a little bit so you can blame it on me. I apologize for that. But to me, this is worth it. Can I just say that on record? This is worth it. These are going to be here to pray with you in a moment. But I'd like to lead you all in a prayer. And even if you're seated and you didn't come forward, God, who went to a cross for you, can meet you right where you're seated. Let's pray together. In fact, let's all of us pray together. That would care to. Let's pray. Even as a, if you've already prayed the prayer, let this be rededication to you right now. Say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus. Come on, everybody. Lord Jesus, I confess you. Lord of my life. I repent of my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. Lord, I receive your forgiveness, your love, a new heart, a new desires. And I declare today 
I'm a child of God. And I got victory over the enemy. Jesus, I know that as you have set me free, I am free indeed. And Lord, awaken in my heart. Come on, say it with me. Lord, awaken in my heart. Passion for you. I'm serving you forevermore. In Jesus' name. Come on, somebody give the Lord a mighty hand clap. Shout. Woo! Come on. Here's what we do. We get everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. You feel free. You're going to begin to pray and move towards me. They're going to pray for you. But this is a second group. And I want to do this very quickly. Nine years of age. I, what I, let me phrase it like this. I should have a cigarette box look sticking out of my chest. Let me explain. Not that I was a smoker. It's called a pacemaker. Nine years of age. I was diagnosed in large heart. Other severe, severe conditions where the doctor told my mother he will not live if we don't put a pacemaker and back then pacemakers were a different kind of look i had an uncle that had to have one and they say even if we give him the operation and put him in we put him under anesthesia we'll open up his heart we can't guarantee how this thing will turn out he's a nine-year-old kid my mom walks out of alta bates hospital in berkeley california it's raining you know i never forget these kind of moments she looks up my, my mom's not right with god she looks up she's holding little nine-year-old sean's hand who just had gotten the news a month earlier his dad had been murdered. And that's probably some of the stuff that set it off. And she says, God, please don't take my only son from me. And it was like a boom. You say, Sean was a boom. It was like in that moment, I felt something I, I didn't have a grid for. It was out my paradise. God showed up. God showed off. But I remember turning to my mom and saying, Mom, I'm going to be all right. I'm okay now. My mom, just on a hunch, went back in the hospital and set up a whole different diagnosis. It was the same deal, but let's do it again. So they hooked me back up to the suction cups of cream, put the thing on my mouth. I'm running on the thing as a nine-year-old kid. And all of a sudden, the results came back from the doctor. And the doctor pulled my mother in. My mother's all scared, like, what are they going to say? And the doctor said, we have no explanation for this. Your son does not have a problem. He will not need that operation. He is totally okay. Yes. So... Even before I knew him, I began to realize he's a healer. He's still a healer. If you're here right now, you've got any kind of sickness, affliction, or condition where you need healing, these are also going to be available to pray for the sick. So I'm going to ask you to do this. If you need healing in your body, would you step out of your seat and come forward? We believe in a God that still does it. He doesn't just do it in Africa, underground church of China, Latin America. God has no boundaries. The God that gives folks dreams over Muslim villages and entire villages wake up and save, he knows no boundaries. He can do it here. So that's why I believe that, man, we need to make room for the big God showing up. Like when the curtains part and you go, oh, wow, it's going to happen. So come forward. Come on. If you need healing, come all the way up and we're going to pray. I'm going to bless you and you got to go. Have a great, phenomenal day. Thanks so much for allowing me to speak to you. I thank Pastor Lance in this house for allowing me to be here in these four services with you. Awesome. But let me pray over you. Father, I bless your people that are standing. Lord, I, I know it's kind of a benedictory thing, but it sounds perfunctory when you say benedictory. Lord, I bless them with your presence. I ask God that you would absolutely show up and show off in their greatest places of need, in their valleys. I pray, God, that, Lord, that there would come strength to undergird a new wind in their sail of inspiration. I pray, God, that you would supersize our witness as you supersize our conception of you, that as we speak of you, others would be impacted. I believe that there's revival in the greater Sacramento area. I believe it's on this house. And I've asked for a spirit of revival to consume us, a passion 
And Lord, I pray, God, as much as any of this, is that you would deepen our connectivity to heaven, that our intimacy levels would go, that, Lord, we would not be okay with the distant God, who's really not on God's side, is on our side, that we would want intimate, intimacy. So, Lord, I bless him with that, and I pray you would meet needs. Uh, Lord, release favor. Lord, in every category, every area there's needs, Lord, you're a God that has given us a name to meet them and meet us on that area. So I bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Give somebody a high five, handshake, hug. You may be seated. God bless.